We've been in the book of Romans for many weeks now, and you were here last week, you know this, but we're hitting pause on Romans right here at the end of Romans 8. We will pick up Romans 9 starting in September. So we'll be heading back into that. If you're new with us, sort of our bread and butter as a church is to walk through books of the Bible. And we do that with some real intentionality, knowing that God will speak to, uh, really speak to all of life as we just walk through his word and, and, and depend on him. But this summer, we have a few other things planned, and we're in a mode in the next handful of weeks really looking at, at the direction of things. Some of you in this room, you don't need to raise your hand, but some of you are really, really good with directions, and some of you aren't. And, you know, there's directions and then there's directions. So some of you might be heading out on vacation and those require some level of of directions. You might uh, be heading to a dentist appointment or to a concert or something. That's one level of, of directions. But then there are directions, right? Like, God, should I marry this person? God, which job should I do? God, what major should I pursue in college? Uh, where should I live and set up shop? And those are, those are a whole different category. How do you get directions for life? Here's what I know. Just like you don't need more voices at you in terms of uh, directions when you're trying to get to a new dentist, there are plenty of signs. There are plenty of road signs. There are arrows on the street. There might even be a GPS voice talking to you. Um, it's not that we need more voices. When you talk about directions for life, there will be plenty of people calling out to you directions. The question is, who do I trust? Who has the right voice? Of all the signs and signals kind of steering me and giving me input and giving me advice, how do I know who it is I should trust? Parents, teachers, friends, experts in some given field, and even yourself. I mean, these are some of the places that we hear from and listen to in various capacities. Here's a whole nother thought is this. When do I have time to figure this out? Isn't it true that the day-to-day life, the sort of smaller directions that you're just trying to figure out how to make your appointment... And when do you have time to think about sort of the bigger, weightier matters of things? I'll tell you what happens to us in life sometimes. I visited with someone this week, and uh, and we commented on the fact that, did you ever envision um, that your, you know, round-the-clock scenery would be this hospital curtain laying flat on your back, staring up at fluorescent lights and a hospital curtain? And he's like, no, that wasn't really in my plans for this coming week. Sometimes it's true that God sort of hits the pause button for us, and when we're laying on our back in a hospital room unexpected, all of a sudden we have sort of nothing but time, right? And as I sat here with this person, I encouraged him, I said, man, make use of the time you have sitting here. Make use of the time to sit and go, you know, man, now I have nothing but time to sit and ponder and think about uh, these sort of big decisions of life. Today what I want to do is this, I want to continue a discussion that really began last November where we rolled out this idea of heading, and I'll kind of explain more of what that is. But we took two weeks leading up to our 10-year anniversary celebration last November and kind of rolled out some new things. And what it is, is it's this discussion about direction, but it's for us. It's sort of a collective church family direction, not an individual or a, a, um, a family, uh, your own nuclear family. Some of you might be brand new or newish here, 
And, um, and let me just assure you of this. I think this is a phenomenal series to get to walk through with the church. When you're dating someone before commitment, isn't it good to find out where they're headed in life? And whether you want to link arms and commit with this person, that's a great time to discover what that person's all about. If you are newish here, what you have an opportunity to do is this. You get to hear uh, sort of the undercurrent of where is this church headed? What is this church going to focus on? And what is this church all about before commitment? So it's actually just a really, really good time. If you're a regular attender here or a member here, uh, let me just say this. You are really needed. Uh, A feature of the next few weeks is this. It's not just that you're going to hear from different circles of leadership um, that have been pouring over this, working on this, and actually implementing this for some time, but you are going to um, help shape and discover uh, as we seek God, God, where do you want us focusing on? Where do you want us not focusing on? You're called to participate in that in some very uh, specific ways. And some of it will take place on Sundays, but much of it will take place away from this building. As we start to talk about um, just change and vision and some of these things, I just want to kind of put a few things in front of you. If you're taking notes this morning, there's no fill-ins, but you can jot down things that you might have questions or, or you want to look at later on. One of the things that we think is really true is it's really important to get clear on what church is about. Um, periodically, we have... We have just taken time on a Sunday morning to look to the scriptures and just say, what is it that we're supposed to be doing here on Sundays? And in the broader picture, what are we supposed to be doing as a church? Because what we know is as time moves forward, just sort of man-made junk and traditions and old ruts and habits kind of cling on to us as we walk the path forward as a church. So um, we, we did in 2016 this whole idea that, that church is God's idea. God dreamt up church, and so, um, so we had to look to him to see what is church supposed to be. And it was good to take some weeks to, to, to do that. In 2013, uh, we looked at this question, what does it look like for life after belief, so I've now become a Christian, but before the funeral? Right, So that space between being born again and graduating on into life eternal. How am I supposed to live? And so we took some weeks to look at that. Going all the way back to 2009, we had this uh, series on the church called Pure and Simple. These were the things God was stirring in our, in our hearts collectively. And just before that was a series we called Church in HD. And it was trying to get real clarity. HD quality was new back in 2008. Um, and so it's like, how do we get really crystal clear on, God, what do you want for the church? And we just grabbed some different metaphors. One of them was that we're sheep. We're the flock of God. And so what does it look like for that? I bring these all up because of this. This series is not going to cover any of that. Uh, in fact, what, what, what this series is doing is it's presupposing that you have an understanding from the scriptures of what we're already doing as a church. If you've not heard those series, we think there is some great teaching there from the scriptures that would be well worth going back and listening to some of those podcasts and just, and just hearing from the scripture and reminding ourselves, here's what we're, here's what we are as the called out people of God in a local church. So here's what this is about. God has provided some boundary fencing. Part of the reason why you, you might have friends and family who are at different churches, and you go, how come one church is so very different from another church? 
if they all uh, proclaim to believe the Bible, proclaim Jesus as Lord, proclaim to be walking in the Spirit, why is one so different than the other? Well, let me just have you look to your left and right for a moment. Look to your left and right, okay? Uh, you are all as different as you are because you are a unique mix of past experiences, of gifts and passions, of strengths and weaknesses, right? And so any family that gathers that much variety into a location is going to look vastly different. Any of you have siblings that were raised in the exact same home as you, but it couldn't be more different? Yeah, I have a few of those. That's the same sort of a thing. So God has set up perimeter fencing, saying, thus far and no more. But then within that fencing... There's just tons of room to play and create and work and serve. And that's where churches have the freedom to kind of create and move as they see fit. So what this series is about is to clarify what we'll focus on within God's loving fencing. Now, um, we're rediscussing this. We've been discussing this as a core staff team for a while now. But just recently, I had someone um, make this clarification. And I thought it'd be good for you to hear. Um, this series and the directions that we see God moving us is more refinement and not overhaul. Here's what I know about people. You begin to talk about change, new directions or anything and their heart starts to beat faster, their palms get sweaty, and they go, they're kind of waiting for the second shoe to drop, and, you know, and hear that we, you know, we're gonna all move to Disneyland and do Disneyland ministry now, and who knows what, like just crazy stuff that's, that's massive overhaul. Where we've seen God, uh, as we've sort of laid this all out, is, um, is some refinements to what you know about Neighborhood Bible Church, but not a 90-degree turn where we're heading in some brand new, completely different direction. The one last comment I just want to make is this. Um, sometimes, believe it or not, churches couch internal troubles and turmoil in spiritual religiosity-type terms. So in other words, there might be an internal staff problem, but instead of just being open and honest and sharing that, we celebrate that that person's going to go off and start a church. Well, really, they're being driven out, and the two people on the staff can't get along. And so we sort of put this spiritual veneer on it, and we try to gloss it up and make it look really fancy and nice and all of that. Let me just say that... Um, the process the elders have been on and, and the, the core leaders, this is not reactive to anything. Nothing is on fire. In fact, what we saw is about eight years into this church, we just celebrated 10 years in November, we, we really began to have a sense, God, we've been, we've been on this track, we really sense that you've been leading us in some directions. As we approach the 10-year mark, we want to just take our lives and our ministry and the way we see church and do things, and we just want to lay them bare before you, and we want to carve out some time um, to, to really look at this um, in a fresh way. We took all of our jobs and titles and ministries, and we basically had a sacred cow barbecue. We said there is no sacred cows. We, we aren't going to cling to anything um, that isn't a part of Scripture. Um, it's just all open. And so it was a really, really good process. It wasn't reactive. It wasn't because we were financially strapped. It wasn't because we're getting kicked out of our building. It wasn't because, uh, you know, Ben and I don't get along and one of us is leaving. This is just very much proactive. And let me just challenge you. Uh, this is something that I have done personally. My family has done. And I would challenge you to do. I think this is a, 
a key part of the Christian walk, that we periodically get away and have Sabbath from our lives, rest from our lives, and just open and say, God, do you still want me serving in the same ways? Do you still want me in the same career? Um, and and I've, I've seen God move in tremendous ways in my own life just by asking that question and just by inviting introspection um, from, from God. And again, if you just carry on with your busy Silicon Valley life, you will never have time for that. You have to take time. You have to carve out and make time that doesn't currently exist to do those kinds of things. So let me just say that for the last couple of years, really, again, starting two years ago in November, uh, a lot of time and devoted effort has gone into prayerfully seeking this out. Let me bring up two words that are... um, that are really common in churches. Uh, one is vision. Uh, vision, quite simply, is just casting casting a picture or imagining a future that's preferable to the one that you have. And um, vision can be given. I really believe God can give us a vision for a preferable future. I also know from experience that vision can be created. It can be manufactured. So we can just, in our own man-made self, we can just, we can just sort of see how things are and, and envision how things could get better. Isn't this commerce? Isn't this your own household? Your back deck? I mean, just anything. Like, like there's, there's a capacity for us to see the better future. Revelation, on the other hand, is something that is hidden and then must be made known to us. I'm not against vision in the church. I would just raise the flag of caution um, whenever you go and hear from a church about a church's vision. And I recognize the irony that we are letting you know in some directions that we're heading. And here's why. Um, Just think in your own experience. Those of you who have lived a little bit of life in churches, how many visions have you heard proclaimed, excitedly rolled out with very slick logos um, a budgeting campaign, sermon series, the whole nine yards. You might even have a keychain still from that series. And, and it was either a total flop or it was just forgotten at some point down the road. You don't have to raise your hand. I know you've been there. Where a vision was excitedly cast and then it, it just failed. It just wasn't there. And frankly, there wasn't even a good job of coming back and revisiting. You know what? We, we, we rolled this out, it hasn't failed, and here's what's going on with that. Oftentimes, it's just lift the rug, do a little sweeping, and move on to the next one, and hope that people forget the last campaign that we just forgot about because it was kind of too hard and too frustrating, or we had our wires crossed. So I just say with caution that as you roll out and think about a new vision, it's really exciting to get started on something. What I do know is this. I do know that God consistently calls his people to live by revelation. And it's not just revelation at the start of, of the Christian life, which is understanding the gospel, our need for a savior, but it is the ongoing keeping in step with the spirit. God calls his people to live by revelation. Now, this is a quote from, um, from a for, former pastor of mine over at Los Gatos Christian Church. He wrote a book called Old Paths, New Power. And he's just sort of, this This book is a challenge to just sort of uh, simplify back to prayer and the word. And here's what he says. Another overblown and overused idea in modern ministry is vision. 
No doubt the Lord imparts his plans and ways to the hearts of men, but catch this, but our obsession with the modern notion of vision has eclipsed actual biblical teaching and overshadowed other truths that are much more central to gospel ministry. Our obsession with vision has eclipsed what the Bible even says about it, and it's actually cast a shadow on some of the more basic fundamental things. Here's what I know. Uh, a friend of mine is holding pastor's conferences in Ethiopia right now. He's part of our prayer group. He pa- uh, pastors over at Bernal. It's been so encouraging for our pastor's prayer text to be getting pictures. Hey, hey guys, here's 98 pastors And I've been in Ethiopia. I know some of these have probably walked for six hours that morning to be there. Praying together for the success of one another's ministry. And that God would be glorified. And that they would be diminished. And the reason I celebrate that is that's exactly what we do every single Wednesday morning in in my office. Here at Neighborhood Bible Church. And here it is going on in, in Ethiopia. And that, that just excites me. And here's what I know. They don't have keynote or PowerPoint in Ethiopia. They don't have slick campaigns. They, they can't afford, in fact, they probably couldn't fathom why you would waste money on a plastic keychain with that current vision's logo on it in the first place. What I know is God still calls them to walk as a church. And what God's given them is His Spirit. God's given them His Word. God's given them Prayer by Jesus Christ. And so these are the things that we're, we're really trying to keep the major things, the major things here. It's been so providential to be walking through, um, hands down, my favorite chapter in all of scripture, which is Romans 8. And Romans 8 is describing life in the spirit. What is it after we've gained an understanding from Romans 1 to 7? By the way, we've been singing about that this morning already. I hope you're, I hope the words on the screen are richer because of Romans 1 through 7 and 8, um, uh, and, and, the, and the time we've spent there. But we've been looking at life in the Spirit, and we've used this metaphor, that life in the Spirit is a little bit like kiteboarding. Anyone ever kiteboarded before in the room? Excellent. I won't... I won't sound so ignorant then. I've never done it either. So this is all like Wikipedia knowledge about it. But I have seen it. I, I helped a guy launch once. Okay, that's, that's the extent of my experience with this. But I love this metaphor because it really is, it really is a great picture of what it's like to sort of grab on um, to God and, and see some things. It requires help that you have no control over whatsoever. Um, Jesus proclaimed this to be true, that this idea of being born in the Spirit is for every single Christian. This isn't for super-Christians. Super-Christians don't get the Holy Spirit, and then some other class of Christians don't get the Holy Spirit. That's nonsense, unbiblical, and heretical. Jesus defined being born again as one who is born in the Spirit. And then we looked at the idea of the the church, the local church, being made up of Christians who are all being led by the Spirit. So this is by way of review from Romans 8. As I thought about this series, and as as I thought about sort of um, some of the things we're going to talk about this morning, this isn't quite the right uh, picture for the local church. The local gathered church links lives in such a way that it really is more like a sailboat. It's this idea that we have linked lives in such a way that we are trying to catch the wind together. 
There's a sense that when you become a member of a church, and we think membership's really important. We see it written in scripture, although not commanded that the local church have a defined Western concept of, of church membership. But we see this defining and covenanting our lives together as super important. And there's a sense that you, you get on that sailboat with other people, you are dependent on them, that you are collectively in concert catching the wind of the Spirit together, and that you are going somewhere, that you're on a journey. I like this picture of a sailboat for a second reason. It reminds us that we are wholly dependent on the Spirit as the Spirit blows in whatever way He chooses in the local church. Therefore, if we are cruising along and really flying along, we don't turn to ourselves and go, wow, we're working so hard, we're doing a great job of this. We, we realize that it's a work of the Spirit. And if we're absolutely dead in the water and completely still, we don't freak out at that and, and say, wow, we're not moving anywhere and other people are moving quicker. Maybe we should do something. My dad had a little tiny sailboat and he used to take us out sailing. It fit about my dad and one of my brothers and I. I remember being out there sometimes and, um, and he would be teaching us how to sail this little boat. And it was totally dead in the water and I would take the rudder and I remember when you turn the, 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 the rudder like this, even if you're moving just a tiny bit, it takes the water and it kind of creates little swirls off the back. So I'd be bored because it's we're just sitting there and sailing's a little slow for my taste. And um, and I remember doing this. I remember taking the rudder and using it like a paddle, like an oar. Do you know how effective this was? This was terrible. Like we were in the middle of a lake somewhere, and pretty soon I realized this is a dumb way to move a sailboat. That is just that is not the way it's geared to do it. And as I thought about that image, I thought about God, forgive me. Because as a pastor, as a ministry leader, just as a Christian, I have done this so many times in my Christian walk. Tried to manufacture things that weren't there. So, as a church, let's just keep in mind Romans 8. Let's keep in mind that we are wholly dependent, God, on you moving us. And let's get our focus off of trying to generate more speed on our own and more concentrating on God are our sails up and at the ready. What is my role in helping us move forward in some things? You don't need to turn there, but I want you to write down Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. You can read this later, but I'm just going to summarize very quickly. Bottom line is you had this. The early church leaders who had devoted themselves, catch this, to prayer and ministry of the word. And what happened was there was some needs within the church where some tables needed to be served and some very real logistical problems were happening. And the church leaders made this decision. They said it wouldn't be right for us to have our prayer time threatened and to take us away from the very important, diligent ministry of the word and go and do these other things. It's not that it's below us, but that would be a tactic of the enemy to distract us from the most important thing that we are wholly dependent on, which is prayer and the, and the, and the ministry of the word. So here's what we'll do. We are going to pick and appoint and lay hands on men full of the Holy Spirit to take over this very important task. There's so much more in there than we have time to, to kind of get to, but let me highlight something. They saw 
great caring for tangible needs as a threat to the most important thing, which was dependence on the Holy Spirit through prayer and ministry of the word. They also saw that this this work of, of caring for people and feeding people their tangible needs of the stomach as really important work, so important that the people who were administering that had better be filled with the Holy Spirit. They had better be dependent on the Holy Spirit as well. I bring that up because of this. The wind of the Spirit is still sufficient for this church in 2017. And the work that... that Myself, as one of the pastors here, ought to be about is, is prayer time. If you ever walk into the church and you catch your pastors praying or reading their Bible, don't ever scold them. Just say, I'm so glad that you're praying and reading your Bible. Those are good things to be doing. We're not slacking off if we're doing that. We believe that is absolutely central um, to, to gospel ministry. Now let me just kind of throw some some thoughts. And again... This sermon is rather uh, scripture light. We're going to get into a, a key passage in just a second. But here's what, I, here's what I hope you'll understand. All those series that we talked about before are chock full of what the Bible has to say about the, the local church. Not everything about the local church. But there's a lot of resource there that I would encourage you to go back and, and check out. But think about heading. Heading is a nautical term. And if you set one's heading, that's setting it to a certain um, Number and it sets your course. It sets your direction. So here's just a, a few a few thoughts. One is that it implies clear direction. Doesn't it make sense that if you're going in one direction, you're actually saying no to a myriad of other directions, right? If you are heading for this island and not that shoreline, uh, that necessitates that you aren't doing a whole bunch more than you are doing, and it and it and it, and it um, indicates that there's a clear direction. Here's the second thing. Heading reminds us that we're that we're we're going somewhere. Uh, I told you that a couple weeks ago I was up in Seattle um, and uh, at Michael Dolan's wedding, and I was sitting at a coffee shop, and I was sitting there, I started a conversation with a young couple that was there, and they were from Los Angeles, and we got talking. I'm like, what are you guys doing up here? Oh, we're going on an Alaskan cruise. I'm like, awesome, never been on a cruise. Tell me about it. Well, these guys were like cruise fanatics, and they had told me all the different cruises they've been on, and one of the cruises they left Long Beach. They went down to some port city in Mexico that should have taken like just a few hours to get there, but it was like a three-day cruise. I said, what would you do the rest of the time? He said, we did circles in the ocean. <laughs> like, that is, that is a fantastic descriptor of a lot of people's lives, of a lot of organizations. Like, let's get a whole big thing together. Or, you know, we head out and all we're doing is just sort of killing time, uh, partying and, you know, eating and eating some more and sleeping, doing circles in the ocean to get somewhere that we could have gotten in a much shorter period of time. We are not doing that. We are not a church that is just killing time. We enjoy being together. We enjoy sort of a spiritual tone to our togetherness. Nonsense. We sense God moving us in a direction. Here's a third thing. That setting a heading is really, really important. It's a massively important first step to understand where you're heading. But that's only the first step. Far more important, wouldn't you agree, is actually implementing that heading. It's one thing to chart a course and say, we are going there and have all your math right and have all your numbers right and actually set off. But that's just a first step. And so even as we talk about this, this series will fade from our memory. 
as we get back into Romans in the fall, as we move forward and forward and whatever, and whatever, and whatever life has for 2018, it will be important for us to keep implementing some of the things that we see in this series. There's something that all organizations know and fight against, and it's called vision creep. If you think about this in nautical terms, there are forces outside of our control if we're on a sailboat, namely currents and wind and storms and mechanical breakdown, and these things have a way of knocking us off course. So with the best of intentions, you could reset your priorities in your life and you could begin walking toward that with great enthusiasm and for whatever reason, you find yourself over time ending up over here. And when you look back on your life to evaluate what happened, you realize, man, there were forces outside of my control that just subtly knocked me off course. Church, we have those same things going on um, for us. Finally, tools are really important. So are numbers, but they're not the most important thing. The destination is. Here's the tools of someone in the nautical world, a compass and maybe heading degrees. Those are really, really important things. But those are just means to an end. Those are tools to get you to a destination. Let me tell you some really important tools that we talk about a lot. The word Bible is in our church name. That wasn't the most hip thing 10 years ago to throw that in your name. It didn't sound very outreach friendly. Honestly, we just wanted to let people know kind of up front, like, like we're really about God's word, and, and we really don't care a ton about what people have to say. We really you know, stick, stick to the book. But it's possible, friends, to begin to like worship the compass, to begin to worship the heading degrees, and to begin to think that the tools somehow are the source of power. God wrote a book. It's called a Bible. He gave it to us. The Bible is not God. The Bible is from God. So what's the destination for a Christian? Here's my great longing for you. Here's my great longing for my life. Here's my great longing for each one of my children. God, would you allow me to cross the finish line faithful? Would you allow me just to to finish well, to finish faithful? I want to be more in love with Jesus on the very last day that I breathe on this planet than I I was uh, at, at the beginning. And so that's the destination, that we would be found faithful disciples. Very quickly, the project that, that went on back in October, um, is all on the podcast from back then, so you can kind of, you can kind of listen back in on it. But each of us as elders sort of took some different roles, and the idea was kind of getting above the tree line and saying, God, is there a different direction? Are there other things that you want us heading on? Here's what's fascinating about that. In the midst of carving out time to say, God, where do you want us going in some new seasons? God was moving right in our very midst. Here's a few things that that went on while we are trying to ask this question. God, where do you want us heading? Christine Barber, the Hintons, Josh Barrell, all of them obeyed God's command to go somewhere, to uproot their life here, leave here for the purpose of serving other people in the name of Jesus. That all went on in, in, our, in, our, in our midst. And then as well, there were adoptions happening. There was this little ministry birthed in part from Neighborhood Bible Church called Foster the Bay. Um, and there were on-ramps for many, many people who were far from God and they began to move closer to God. So it's the great generosity of God that while we are saying, God, help us discover where you want us to go, as we're doing that, God is just continuing to move and work in our lives. Here's some other things. 
There was some faithful, patient endurance going on. We have a ministry called Love, Inc., which just seeks to minister to tangible needs. People served at Love, Inc. all through this time. People continued to give generously, financially, and with their time all through this season. And every single week, we had many, many community groups of people that were meeting around God's Word, meeting for prayer, to mutually encourage and build up. So, again, it's just an awesome thing that we don't pause our life to go discover these things. we Life keeps going on, and God continues to sustain. In fact, we actually saw incredible fruit during this season while we were carving out time to seek Him. Let me have you turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. And while you're turning there, let me give you heading in one minute, okay, or so. Um, if you were here in October, these aren't new, but it's three simple words. Uh, simple family and gifts. If you remember simple family gifts... Uh, that's gonna, that's gonna help you kind of remember what we're talking about. The idea behind simple is that we just remain accessible and aligned. One of the things that we talk about as a staff all the time is this. It's not, it's not enough just to make something truthful. The question is, is it helpful? Jesus had all truth. The reason Jesus had people gravitating from all walks of life is he made truth helpful. It's not just enough to tell your kids the truth. You love them so much, you try to figure out, how can I give this to you in a bite-sized way that will move you from here to here? I want it helpful. So we just really seek to do that as a church. Here's number two, family. That we are really going to live like family, and we are really going to invest in lifting up families. What we know is that one of the biblical metaphors and one of the ways God reveals himself to us is Father. We are a spiritual family. In fact, there's something really profound. There's these wedding vows that I will sometimes officiate a wedding, and you hear someone say, till death do us part. Your wedding vows go as far as your life on this planet. Your commitment, your spiritual family, catch this, goes on forever. So when the Dorseys say, if we don't see you now, we'll we'll see you someday, that's not just sort of a pipeline, hallmark thing to say. That's reality. And so even as we invest in family, uh, that's what I was talking about. Uh, Finally, number three is gifts. We see really clearly in Scripture that all members will be using their gifts. In fact, God gives leaders in the church. God gives shepherds in the church for this explicit purpose, to train up others for works of ministry. So we believe that all Christians have spiritual gifts, and we want to do whatever we can to see that those gifts are being used in the church. Because what we know is, this church will be less, this sailboat will be less on its journey, if everyone isn't contributing with their spiritual gifts. And that's just an exciting thing to be invited in to God with that. Here's how the rest of the series is going to go. We're going to take each one of these one week at a time over the next three weeks. And then you know how when you paint a wall, you paint one coat, you let it dry, and you come back the next day, what do you see? You see gaps, right? You see that it needs a second coat. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through this in one pass, um, each one of these, and then we're going to hit it as a second pass. And so we'll, we'll come back on these. And these all have huge implications for budget. What do we budget for? What do we not budget for? What do we program? What do we not program? If we're heading in this direction, what are we saying no to over here? So it's going to really help bring some clarity for that. First John chapter 3, starting in verse 2. Here's what I know as Christians. This is true of you. That you are a child. You are a child of God. 
We just, we just sang this. We just sang about God as our Father. And that means so much. It means that we were given a name. It means that we are established. It means that we are gifted. It means that we are needy. It means that we're receivers from God. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, in case you haven't noticed, it's graduation season right now. And I had this sort of poignant thing happen by having a high schooler graduate in my home and a kindergartner graduate in my home on successive days. And so to see a high schooler and a kindergartner um, both graduate is sort of it sort of made me think about this reality. They they are at two very, very different phases in life, but there is so much change, there's so much life, there's so much growth needed in both of them. And from my vantage point, not true of the 18-year-old, probably not even true of the six-year-old, but from my vantage point, they're both kids. They're both children. Now again, very different children, very different life stages, but it gave me like this little whisper of a, of a thing of how God must view us. Don't you see people sometimes and you think of them as a spiritual giant? You go, man, that person just has his life together. That person just does stuff that I, I wish I could live that way. And they just seem so far down the road. When you pull back to God's level, you look and you say, what you are now is children. And what you will be one day, catch this, is you'll be all grown up in Christ. You'll be an adult. Friends, there's coming a day, he who justified us is going to glorify us. And in the middle season of that is this reality that he's sanctifying us. Let me read the last verse that I read again. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, we know from Romans that we're ruined and we can't purify ourselves on our own. But what that's saying is this. It's inviting us into the process to cooperate with God in growing up in holiness. And that's on us. That's our role to be doing. What will be has not yet appeared. God has his hand on us and is moving us toward things in sanctification. So we concern ourselves with growing up in purity because we mimic our heavenly Father. When you and I as Christians get that around our head for us personally and our families, and then we gather collectively, what it means is this, church. We collectively want to concern ourselves with growing in purity. We want to grow up in holiness collectively and together. We're to grow up in him, but not only that, we're to bring others who are far from him into this church family. I put this in your notes. Our, our play button um, communicates a lot of truth about, about sort, sort of how we see the scriptures. The whole idea of worship is coming into relationship with God. It's transferring all of our other allegiance onto the one who matters most, the one we were made to worship. Some people worship their spouse. They ask their from their spouse things their spouse was never meant to give. You know what that causes? Marriage counselors to become wealthy. It just does. I mean, it creates so many problems because you're grabbing those things from your spouse. Your spouse was never meant to, to, to give. Parents, isn't it easy to start to idolize children? 
It's easy to start pouring into them and expecting things from them and start to you know, want to draw from them burdens they were never meant to, to carry. We can do this with status and stuff. What we say as a Christian is those things no longer have top billing. Jesus Christ is my Lord. He has top billing. That's what worship is all about. The beautiful thing is God doesn't rescue us and leave us alone. He rescues us and puts us in a family. That's what that word community is. Every single time you read one another in Scripture, you ought to highlight it, circle it, memorize it, and figure out, because that's telling you how to live life with each other. Sometimes it says this, don't defraud one another. Don't do this to one another. Many other times it says, do this to one another. So that's the idea of community and this growing that we're to do in that. And some people get it wrong by ping-ponging back and forth between their love relationship with God, their love relationship with others in the church family, and they just kind of cozily go back and forth and try to grow in those things. And God will have none of that. The button is green because Jesus commanded us to go. Green means go. So that's where this word share. Worship and community have a point, and it's to share. And whenever you hear the word share around Neighborhood Bible Church, if you've been here a long time, you're sick of hearing this, but it's true. It means both evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and sharing your life, your stuff, your resources, and having compassion on people as they move through this life. Here's what's fascinating. We're commanded to share the good news of the gospel, which on the one hand teaches us that it's going to be a struggle. We tempted not to do it, so it's a command. But the more you think about it, the more you realize, I don't even need to be commanded to do this. If you have your head around what the gospel is, this this eternity-shifting reality that God's covered my sin, then what happens is, you don't even need to command me to talk about that. Imagine for for a moment that you're a couple, you've been trying to get pregnant for years, and then you receive the amazing news that that you're pregnant. You don't need someone to tell you to share that good news with other people. I mean, you will walk up to strangers at a bus stop and say, hey, ask me what's up with my life. And they're like, huh? You're like, well, you're not asking, so I'll tell you. I'm pregnant. Isn't that great? I mean, you're just excited. It's too good to keep to yourself. What's amazing is we don't even need some massive news like being pregnant or getting saved by Jesus Christ. We do this with much lesser things. Ask Gria sometime his opinion of the restaurant scrambles. He is a scrambles evangelist. He loves scrambles. He will talk to anyone and everyone about scrambles that will listen. Why? Because he's just excited about it. Scrambles is too good to keep to himself. And so, so it is with the gospel that this idea of share, it's not a burden. It's not, I guess I should really do this. It's this anticipation like, God, I'm ready, willing, and, and, and available. Would you give me an opportunity? I sure want to share with this person the amazing, good, good father that you are. Let me invite the band to come on up. Rob wrote this song, uh, I think with Ben, I'm not sure, but um, the guys wrote this a while ago. And consistently, whenever art comes from within our own community, I'm always just amazed at how it fits in months or years later to a T. This song is called Lead Me On. And I couldn't think of a better title with this idea of heading, with this dependence on the Holy Spirit, with this prayerful direction that we are heading in. If you want to know where to start with your participation 
in being a part of heading, start with the play button. In your notes, you'll see red words that just say, make disciples, period. Those words are red because those are the words of Jesus Christ. We are not abandoning that. That, that is now going to be informed and sharpened by simple family gifts. But if you want to, if you want to participate in this, grow in your worship. In your deepening love relationship with God. Grow in your community and investing in the relationships with the family of God. And grow in your fervor to share. Say, God, you've blessed me with health. You've blessed me with energy. You've blessed me with gas in my car. How do you want me to share? Those are some very tangible ways. What we're going to do is sing a song together. And then we're going to open up to sort of a corporate time of prayer Each one of these um, sermons is going to sort of invite us into prayer. And I'll just give you fair warning. At times, we're going to break up into some smaller groups on a Sunday morning and just cry out to God together. You will never be forced to pray out loud or do something you don't want to do. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to pray corporately. You're all going to stay in your seat. You're all going to be facing forward. But we'll kind of lead into that time. That's a way to participate on a Sunday morning. So let's sing this song. Some simple fishermen were given this impossible task to evangelize the whole world. And I sort of think, you know, if they were given that task in this valley, the wisest experts might say something like this. Don't just sit there, do something. And yet what we see from the master, Jesus Christ, gives them exactly the opposite advice in the book of Acts. He says, don't just do something, sit there and wait. And what are they waiting for? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit shows up right on time, and the world has never been the same. Jesus promises a helper. Jesus promises one who's going to come and infuse wind into the sails and make this whole thing, this whole sailboat make sense all of a sudden. And we're called to do the same things. As we go to prayer, um, I want to have you focus on three things. And again, you can, you can bring up other things as well. The way we'll do this is this. Uh, with no microphone, nothing else, and again, no pressure to pray. But you can just call out from your seat um, and, and cry out to God. And we'll do this in community. But I thought about as we move forward with this, some of the temptations we might struggle with. One is I've been praying this for a long time in this neighborhood. God, would you allow us to sail the waters that we're in? One of the answers to prayer in that is about year eight, where we began really ministering to Spanish speakers. And so our third service is all in Spanish, because we have many in this community that that speak that as, as a first language. Secondly, is God, would you allow us not to compare? Don't let us look at other bodies of Christ and do what we do in the flesh all the time, which is gripe and complain and compare. Think about your kids at Christmas time. Kids, think about yourself. You're opening your present with one eye on what your sibling has. What did they get? Is it equitable? Do I want that more? Right? Let's just, let's just pray. God, would you allow us to receive the assignment you have for us 
and be thrilled and overjoyed receivers at what you would give us and not worry about other ships designed for other tasks. And finally this, the open ocean is absolutely exhilarating, but it's also frightening. And so as we set out on this, as we continue on this journey, just to pray, God, we will trust ourselves afresh to the one who holds the seas in his hands. And this requires a lot of humility to say, God, we're going we're gonna to trust that you will come through in this. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Colossians 4.2 says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. You don't have to do this, but I find it helpful sometimes to force my body to do things to kind of get my brain in a mental state. And once in a while, it's helpful for me to sit with my hands open, my palms facing up, as if I'm closing my eyes, ready to receive a gift that's been promised to me. And as we pray for the next several minutes, I want to invite you to focus on receiving from God. And again, maybe getting your body in this mode will sort of train your brain that prayer isn't just a laundry list of asking and yapping at God. As we sit quietly before him, as your brothers and sisters pray out loud, concentrate just on receiving from God. And God, just now as we just together join our hearts, join our minds, participate in this exercise of active listening to you. God, we trust you. We trust the words that we're singing. We trust that you're sovereign. We know that you have preserved this building, this plot of land for a church. And God, we want to be diligent. We want to be urgent with how we can be a blessing to this neighborhood. God, we thank you for the gift of Sabbath where we lay down our striving, we lay down our work, we lay down our titles, and we just receive from you, God. We delight in being children. God, we delight in our dependence on you. I pray that in the coming weeks, as we collectively seek to listen to you attentively, God, that you would speak, that you would move. We thank you that you've been so faithful to move, even in the midst of seasons like this, in some big, powerful ways. And God, we anticipate that you'll respond, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.